Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. God's Gun or White Comanche. 
that would that would be yeah, that would be sadistic there. But in Mike's view, White Comanche isn't spaghetti western because he doesn't want to write about it. Ooh, wow, wow! You know, one Shatner's bad enough, let alone two. Yeah, a proto spaghetti western with William Shatner. Good God, what the hell were they thinking? Uh, I don't think he was even somebody when he did that. I yeah you well yeah. yeah but they, I mean, what time? Pre-Star Trek. Yeah, or or right around the same time. Well, he had done some like Twilight Zone and stuff like that. I know he had done that, but yeah. But you know, if you were an American and you could act, man, they were taking you over there. I was, you know, that's what they were looking for. I mean, you all these people that would roll over there, like Rick Horn, Rick Horn, who's probably the worst actor, one of the worst actors I ever seen. I mean. I think he was in something like a 1955 one episode of maybe Cheyenne or one of them uh, television series. He went over there. Yeah, but they were just grabbing Americans, you know, because that's what, hey, you know, well, we need an American who will work cheap, you know, so. And then we'll surround him with character actors. Yeah. But tonight's film, we have a film that was a Shaw Brothers sequel that was never marketed as a Shaw Brothers sequel. Probably because it is an extreme tonal shift to go from King Who, or is it King mm, Wu? True. Yeah, true. King Who. An unproven director who no one else would touch it because they didn't want to go after King Wu, but this guy's like, you mean I get a shot? I'll take it. <laughs> Ching Che. Yeah, well. Yeah, one of his early ones. And was so this he was before still, or after uh, One Armed Swordsman? Uh, one Armed Swordsman was sixty-seven, right? Or sixty? Yeah. Was that sixty-eight too? I believe it was sixty-seven, wasn't it? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was. Um, and I think this was, if I'm not mistaken, this was made two years after, uh, you know, the original film. So. Obviously, they weren't. You know, they, they. It was just something maybe that was kind of okay. Well, let's let's try this. Let's you know throw it to the wall and and, and see what happens. But um, yeah, it's um, it, it's it's a loose, very loose sequel. And and, and you know it brings back uh, Jimmy Wang Yu. Or I'm sorry, Jimmy Wang Yu was not. But uh, he he was in the One Armed Swordsman, which we were just talking yeah. about. So the only one that comes back is Betty Kingpei. Mm-hmm, right. Because I think she was the only one who wasn't killed at the end of uh, <laughs> Drink with the as a star. Well, and um, obviously, P.P. Yeah, P.P. Chang, right? Is that what we, yeah. Yeah. And, of right. course, there was this guy who, uh, well, his, uh, we'll get into him when the movie starts. His brother was working as a stunt director for uh, Shaw Brothers, and they were kind of stuck who was going to play the romantic heroic lead. They had the e-villainous lead, who was uh, uh, Wang Yu, and then they had the heroic lead, who was Pei-Pei. But they couldn't find heroic lead, but their stunt coordinator said, I have this guy, he's my uh, brother, and... He'll do a good job on it. So this is how this guy got a start 
in the Shaw Brothers films. And I, and I think, too, that, you, you know, with P.P. Ching, I think that, you know, they were, you know, they elevated her and come drink with me to where, you, you know, yeah, she obviously depended on the, uh, the, the drunk, you know, to help her, you know, because obviously that she wouldn't have beat that, you know, the, you know, the dude with the supreme um, um, kung fu, and she needed his assistance. But in this one, in this one, she comes out a little bit more. But eventually, see, she's again, she becomes kind of like, you know, dependent on the hero. Which, you know, as we get into it, we'll see who the hero is, which who became a, um, uh, you know, it's yeah. We'll see as we as we roll along, but yeah, it was um, it was you know it was one of them things where you know in the Japanese films to a point they would allow the woman to be victorious and to be able to go on you know crimson bad. I mean, even though she was dependent at times, um, um, you know some of the other, especially when it got into the into the early seventies, where the, the the females were actually allowed to. You, you know, to become, you know, take over almost the masculine roles from the men. And it seems like in Hong Kong film to a point where, you know, they still made the woman, you know, be subjected to the man and kind of take a back seat to the man. Yeah. At least in, when it comes to the hero, you know, you know, the, or the hero of the film, they've always aided, you know, and even films like um, the uh, Poisonous Seductress films, um, uh, you know, they started the first one was the woman basically, you know, the character, female character, you know, was not dependent. She was dependent on her boyfriend to a point, but once they killed him, then it was, you know, all hell was breaking loose. The next films, she was kind of, you know, aided by a a, a man, and it kind of, to me, it kind of lessened. You know, the first one was fantastic. The second two are great films, but. But it's you know it's kind of one of them things where you know they don't want to elevate these female characters into the hero status, I guess. And if you're a U.S. Shaw Brothers film, you wouldn't know Golden Swallow from any film, but you would might know the girl with the thunderbolt kick, which was true. That's the right. U.S. title for this movie. Yeah, and somebody released it on that on DVD because I have it somewhere around here. But you're, yeah, you're right. I don't. I cannot remember who the company was that released them, but they were kind of bare bones. Well, I don't even think they had anything on them. But well, Dragon Dynasty. This is when uh, they had already flopped with their first two series of Shaws, and they were just shoveling out what they had left done on their contract. Right. So here we go, and I've got it right on the Shaw Brothers logo. Okay, and also this film is available on Amazon Prime if anybody wants to jump on there and grab it. Yeah, Amazon Prime and unsubtitled in the original language on YouTube, which Celestial Films dumped a lot of the films that way. I do not know why, but if you want to see the original language but be confused about the plot, that's the way to go. 
you know, some, I, I was reading something about where some distributors, you know, they have to do something with these films, you know, to release. I, I, I can't remember the whole specifics behind it, but basically it's something where, you know, they they need to put these films out there to be displayed so they can get the um, the copyrights back on them. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember the whole thing. It'll come to me, hopefully, as we work through this movie. But, you know, it could what also it be what... That Warner Brothers owns Five Fingers of Death. They don't own mm-hmm. King Boxer. The girl with the Thunderbolt kick is in public domain. Mm-hmm. But Golden Swallow isn't. Right. Okay, are you ready? I am ready. Right now you're looking at a piece of movie memorabilia that went for about $20,000 U.S. in an auction. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, they sold the, the paint of glass with Shaw Brothers on it. Wow. How would you like to own that? <laughs> don't know what I would do with it, but it'd still be cool yeah. as hell. But I feel like how that's framed. I mean, yeah, I it looks it, like yeah. some kind of fancy Really, it's them shooting it through like a little piece of block with like little squares cut out of it. And how exotic does that look? Right. And, and you know what? When she takes this dart to her arm, if you think about it, yeah. that's how also in Come Drink With Me. Remember when she was poisoned and the uh, the bagger, the drunk, had to, had to save her? This is pretty much, from a screwed-up point of view, this is, I think, the final fight from Come Drink With Me. No. Unless it's no, I think that it was during the day, or was it at night? Uh, a refill. Uh, I, I remember it was. No, hell, I can't remember. <laughs> no, but the, this the is actually, a pretty odd way to really choreograph and shoot a fight. Yeah, I agree with you. It's like we're hiding behind a fence, fence scared crapless, peeking through the holes in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, look at that. He's got that pole and that diagonal cut right there. It's just... And who is that right there? There's their man. That's Lowly in an early appearance. Right. It shots like he's while Lowly became such a respected uh, director, along with the violence. Chang Che? Chang Che, yeah. And what kind of music is that? I can't hear it. <laughs> That's spaghetti western music. With the Mexican brass horn. I 
I'm expecting uh, Lee Van Cleef to ride out in the ride out on a horse any second now, aren't you? As long as um, Leaf Garrett doesn't follow behind him, I'll be all right. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> this is one of the first kung fu movies I ever seen actually use like uh, spaghetti western type music. Yeah, true. With the brass yeah, horns think, and all that. I think um, Bells of Death also, but I think Bells of Death came after this. Oh, this was before he was Cheng Che, Cheng Chui. <laughs> what do <the> you? <laughs> and there it is, like an old friend. In a way, this is sort of a retelling of <laughs> Come Drink With Me the first five minutes of this movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just imagine if you were making uh, product films and you had this as your background. Wow, isn't that a fact? And then, and then you know, it's actually outside of the um, the Shaw Brothers Studios, obviously. Yeah. So I mean, it it, it is uh, you know something different. You can make uh, a low budget film. Which I think this pretty much was. Mm-hmm. Looked like a big budget epic. Right. And this definitely has more of a romantic bent than Come Drink With Me did. Right, right. This is definitely one made for the female audience, which... If you haven't seen that one, uh, that one that came on uh, Netflix a couple of uh, months ago. No, I don't think I have all the... I forget the name of it, something like uh, Back Kicks and something like that. They told Mm -hmm. how these early shows like these were mostly watched by women. So they made sure to have highly romantic... Yeah, yeah. They originally, I believe, if if I'm not mistaken, they had theaters that were all men and all women. And and at yeah. the beginning, a lot more women because men didn't go because men worked, you know, and women, you know, went to the theaters. So yeah, even some of the early films, you know, like the the Magic Lamp, P.P. Ching appears in that as a man, and and some of the other films also. So. You know, they would even do that where they would have female playing the male characters in some of these films, and it would be, they would be um, um, films that were made, like you said, for women. Lover's Rock, Song of Orchard Island, different films like that from her early career. You know, she would appear in those films, and and like it, it was, they were geared towards women. Eventually, men became you know, the more prominent, and that's kind of when the Kung Fu craze started. Yeah, and right they started after, uh, Make more violent type of swords. films. Right. I mean, look, they're talking about how much of a gentleman he is and how friend. 
as dark as this film gets to the end, it's weird seeing how light and friendly it is at the first of it. Right. Yep. And that guy in the middle there is another example of how they would have uh, sort of effeminate male characters. Mm-hmm. With the eyebrows and all that. But sadly, if you look at most of the books, they don't cover these early films like this, do they? No, there's there's not a lot of information out there on them. Very, very little. I mean, uh, there's some books out there that might, you know, write about some of the early, you know, musicals or some of the costume dramas. But no, I, I don't believe any. And I know nobody's ever attempted, you know, a full scale, you, you know, uh, look at all these films. You know, so and to me that's kind of baffling, because yeah, they're they're there to be had, and I, you know, I think the only person that probably ever did it would have been the uh, who was the guy that wrote Thomas Weiser, Weiser, whatever his name was, yeah. who wrote the Asian. What did he write back in the old days? Asian cinema or oh, some crap Asian like that? Or Asian trash cinema. Trash cinema. There you go. And here and, he and the comes only problem in with him. early oh. in with one of the mm-hmm. most badass entrances ever. You can tell that they were definitely like, okay, we got we got to really promote this new guy here. And the weird thing is, is it really didn't pay off to about 1979, which is about a decade after this film came out. <laughs> it took that um, that uh, haircut. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do miss this. There's, you know, they're really set up. Like, uh, you don't see it much in action films. I was like, oh my God, it's the bad guy. Here he comes. He's going to kick our butt. <laughs> oh, that's Wayne Yu there. Mm-hmm. Is there any movie where Wayne Yu did not have that sour ass look on his face? Yep, <laughs> oh, I think you're right. <laughs> you know, it's what's interesting now is if you read some of the quotes and stuff now, he's kind of, I mean, he's mellowed out a lot, obviously, he has to, because yeah. I think he's had a lot of medical issues, but, you know, he's had to mellow out these days, but, you know, he was definitely something else back in them days. Uh, Mike, just get, and this is for everyone else, get Umbrella Entertainment. Uh, box set of The Man from Hong Kong. You will hear some amazing freaking <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Wayne news stories from 
Brian Trenchard Smith and them. Mm. Yeah, he was, yeah. He took whatever he had, his fight scenes, and he carried them outside of here. <laughs> he was living these fight scenes in real life. Yeah, the best quote is uh, the guy who played uh, Mad Max's uh, boss and Mad Max. Hugh is that Keith Roger Burns Ward? Or was and uh, Roger Ward. They were talking yeah. about, oh, after the filming each day, we had to go to the bars with Jimmy Wayne U. Why? To keep him from getting his ass kicked? No, to keep him from beating up everyone in the bar. <laughs> That was his known favorite hobby is just to go out and start fights. Yeah, that's true. Didn't he even kill a man in a bar fight or something? I think I so. He did. And yeah, look, yeah. right from the start. Oh, there it is. The Chenny Chase signature scene. Mm-hmm. They said that was Chang that's been said that's Chang Chase's favorite gore effect. To have like a bag of blood on the stomach, and then when it cuts open, just. (laughs) 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 But even that scene right there is set up like a spaghetti western showdown, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, yeah. They they definitely had some. There was definitely some influence there, in the Japanese yeah. films also, and 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 it was vice versa. You know, the, the the spaghetti westerns took a lot from, you know, the samurai films. So they they were kind of I believe kind of, um, you know, emulating each other. But you know, you got to figure. I mean, somebody like P. P. Ching, which I think she's excellent in these films. You know, it took um, King Hu to be able to, he, I mean, he's the one who um, taught her how to, you know, to do martial arts. Isn't you know, or at least, not, not so much so. taught her, but he taught her the rhythm of a scene and how to act in a scene. You know, when you're doing, you know, obviously these things, the way they're choreographed are, uh, I mean, you know, there's a certain flow and with them, and and you have to be able to, you know, you know, to, within a scene, you know. I mean, it's all kind of synchronized, and I think he taught her kind of like a a rhythm of how to, you know, to perform in these type of movies. Yeah. And obviously, it paid off. Oh yeah, and we've gone from a place that's been a Buddhist temple. A public diner to a royal palace, and in this film, it's a whorehouse. (laughs) (laughs) I've even seen modern films from the 90s on use this uh, set. Mm -hmm. I know it was in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Right. Playing you. The 
this is one of the few times Wayne U actually has a sex scene in the movie, isn't it? Because I don't That's remember it, him. I, I, would think so. I would think so. Yeah. Because that's odd to see him as about a... A lot of the 70s martial arts stars is they never did uh, many sex scenes in their movies. Yeah, that's just again, you know, another similarity with the with the spaghetti westerns. You know, usually it was just the man. No, Django, uh Clint Eastwood's character, uh a lot of all of the big spaghetti western guys. <laughs> well, well they, they, they all um, indulged themselves. Eh, but a lot of them also would, you know, a lot of it is the is eventually be, you know, it's probably also budgetary type of thing where they were just trying to knock these things out, you know, and they didn't want to put a yeah. romantic angle in. Plus, boobies are censor problems. And That's a good point, seen, yeah. And you've seen The Forbidden Kingdom, right? The one with Jackie Chan and... Uh, yes. Did you notice that darts in there? Hmm. Is that right? Yeah. It's like... The poisonous dart, which I will use to kill the bad guy. <laughs> well, like I said, that's they're bringing that back from the first film. This is so weird to see Lowly in a romantic lead. It is weird. It is weird. <laughs> And then you know what, Jimmy Wang Yu does his thing there, but you know what, Low Lee sadly doesn't. <laughs> and even at the, yeah. when we get towards the end of the film, he has no luck there, or else he won't pursue it. Let's put it like I mean, that. it's like I can count on my hand pretty much like under twenty roles where he played the good guy. Uh huh. Because he's just said he never did like playing the good guy. <laughs> and you would think that after King Boxer that, you know, he would have been hero number one, but but it, no, it wasn't to be. Yeah, what was it? Uh, Disciples of Shaolin. That's the one where he's like, I like this, I want to do it. <laughs> when he played Pai Mei. And, and yeah, true. And you got to figure. I mean, he had one hell of a long career, you know. So, I mean, I know he's got well over two hundred credits. Yeah. So obviously, being the villain paid off. And really, I don't think all of his mainland China films have been counted, because a lot That's of them were released, and Alligators in the Week and never did get out of mainland China. Probably the truth there. Yeah, there's probably a ton of films lost from there, you know. There's you know, they talk a lot about how them. nowadays uh, mainland China, like, they're the biggest film devourers ever. I'm like, no. They were just as hardcore back then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like we've said in past shows, you know, you could you could tell the difference between, you know, a Hong Kong uh, film in a mainland China film for the most part, or at least the kung fu ones. You know, the yeah, there's most a difference of the... between having someone like uh, Lao Kar Lung who knew how to build a stock of uh, 
the actual whipping sounds hitting each other and And how many of you seem to actually use that sound in it? And, and you know, it's it's little crap like that that people just, you know, you don't, they don't realize. Like, you know, we've discussed this before. You know, is like the sound of a bullet in a in a film these days. The sound of a bullet in the film these days, you know, it doesn't sound right. You know, right. but you listen to the spaghetti westerns, or you. Or you watch some of the, like, the swords and some of the Japanese films. You know, you can hear that, you know, that that sound, and it sounds right. I mean, it may be, you know, I mean, it may be wrong in actuality, but it sounds right when you're watching it. I mean, that's in your mind, like, you know, what you're, you imagine that sound to be. Do you remember how pissed off all of us got when they re-released the good, the bad, and the ugly in that so-called new director's cut. Mm-hmm. And they updated the gun sounds. Yeah. Yeah. You expect that kaboom, echo. You could close your eyes and listen to an odor and a spaghetti western. And you'll be able to tell what kind it is. Right. And this is odd. This movie wasn't sold as a sequel. But for a lot of this movie, if you hadn't watched the first one, you're going to be fucking lost. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, I don't know, it, it makes you, you know, it makes you wonder where, uh, whether there was some, stip- you know, maybe something tied up with King Who and Core, you know, I don't know. I yeah, know, you know, was, he eventually well, broke. Money. After this, King Wu, Who wanted to make bigger films and get paid yeah, but more. I'm just, I was like, no, keep making them quick, keep making them cheap. I just wonder if maybe he was somehow or another they were tying up with him and maybe did not want to you know do another do a sequel to one of his films because of certain reason you know like maybe they were tying it up in court and they would I, they didn't want to you know have the fight of over a um yeah, you know the probability like of a character who credit but this movie made too much money for us not to do a follow up to right right yeah, that's kind of what almost makes you wonder. Because, you know, probably up until the last moment, uh, Run Run was like, oh, King Who will give in. Everybody gives in. I'm Run Run Shaw. Right. Yeah, or else we're going to sue you out of, you know, out of Hong Kong. Or we're going to, you know, you Black Paul. Isn't that and... Right when you said that was a giant focus on Jimmy Wang Yu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all we needed was dun 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 dun. <laughs> you said hey, that. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Even with Chang Chase films. 
he had to fight to get the gore and everything that Al was modernized in this film compared to Come Drink With Me. Mm-hmm. It was near impossible to get him, uh, Run Run, to change his formula. Right. True. Yeah. You know, once he got into that, you know, he, you know, the profitability, and he knew how to, you know, make a film profitable. That's he kind of wanted to just start that factory routine and keep on rolling it. Like here, this is two hundred percent chain A. Let's cut somebody into three pieces with a bricked up guillotine. Let's cut these <laughs> people's hearts out. <laughs> This is 200% change, Jay. And really why he became one of the more popular directors over here, because he brought the gore, he brought the violence. He brought, you're right, he did. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're going to be fighting and you're going to be fighting with swords, then for sure, you know what I'm saying, there's going to be gore, there's going to be blood. Yeah. That's what Chang Che brought the Shaw Brothers. He brought the violence. Right. Is a weird part of uh, Chain Chase movie too The Noble Sacrifice Right Yeah Yeah Kind of like again You know The, the Japanese with her You know The same type of Adiki. thing Yeah And it is odd, this does seem like two movies together. It's like there's one with Jimmy Wang Yu as the avenging avenging fighter. And then there's this real sweet, innocent movie with Golden Swallow. It's like they took, like, two scripts (laughs) and just mixed them together and really didn't give a damn. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like they were trying trying to come up with that kind of, you know, angle of the two you know, the one good, the one bad, you know, trying, well, not really bad, but the one, you know, the one, you know, the two kind of rivals for, you know, the one's affection. Yeah. Well, that guy hasn't even shown up yet. Right. The super poison. 
you notice, he's using like the same kind of short sword he used in One-Armed Swordsman. Yeah, that's probably was his trademark, trademark by then, huh? Yeah. Didn't he do like uh, two of these before he uh, was excommunicated from Hong Kong? Who's that? Wang Yu? Yeah. I think he worked up with them until a few years. Didn't he work up to almost 70, 71 with them? Or am I yeah. wrong there? What I'm thinking is it was, uh, there was uh, One-Armed Swordsman, the new One-Armed Swordsman, this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah. And, again, they were trying to do whatever oh, they could. Uh, yeah, I mean, they wanted that Swordsman. I mean, didn't he even face against... Later in his career, didn't he even face, oh, uh, shit, the guy from Japan. I can't remember who it was. I mean, oh, um, but they, no, uh, no, the, um, uh, fuck, I can't remember. But, yeah, after this series when he got excommunicated he did the two one-armed boxer films yeah which is weird because one is called the hammer of god over here and its sequel yeah. which is the direct sequel to it is called master of the flying guillotine <laughs> <laughs> I guess whatever would sell on um, 42nd Street, huh? Yeah. Well, Master of the Flying Guilty is a cult classic because of how insane it is. German kraut rock and... I like Bruce Lee who would just beat the hell out of him and leave the place. He beats the hell out of him and then burns their damn house down. And even then, he kills them when they try to get out to keep from burning. (laughs) And he's framing Golden Swallow for it. And the whole music and tone changes. Mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of movies would Run Run would have made with uh, Bruce Lee if he had gotten him. Do you think he'd probably try to stick him into uh, movies like this? I believe so. Oh, yeah. I don't think he was going to change for. I don't, obviously, he wasn't going to change for anybody. But yeah, I think he would have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at the Jackie Chan films that Shaw did. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a reason they're forgotten, you, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. There, you know, let's face it. You know, it just he would have been another. You know, yeah, he would have been a star, but he would have just been another clog in the wheel. You know. Cog in the wheel, clog in the wheel to a point. You know, you would have just churned them out like the rest of these guys. I mean, you know. Yeah, Sean never I mean, they're formulistic, obviously. In the studio. 
He never wanted his guys to be bigger to the studio. He wanted the Shaw Brothers logo and stuff to be the star, not the actors. Right. Or directors. You understand? Oh, yeah. Stumbling, don't you notice the boy is bleeding? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's right <laughs> up on him and they're like, What's it? he's stumbling around. Yeah. Something might be wrong with him. mistaken I think the girl with the under the title the girl with the thunderbolt kick was pretty successful here yeah I think if I were if my if my memory serves me correct it, it was actually pretty successful here but um, you know she was only P.P. Ching was only two, three or four years away from you know calling it quits and walking away you know so she could you know raise a family but um you know, and things were changing also with the Shaw brothers. It was, it was. I mean, let's face it. By, I mean, I think it would have been hard for her to maintain within that studio because it was basically a male-oriented. You know, the, the females mainly paid, played secondary characters. I don't think. Yeah, the, uh, you, the you era know. of the feminine martial art wuxia films were dead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think like the film, like the Lady Hermit. You know. Which I think she did in '71 is a, is a fantastic film, but yeah, I, I think the you know within the next couple of years the writing was on the wall. I think, which is a shame, you know. And I think it also did the same thing about that time with the um, you know in the Japanese film, you know they had the big rush of not the pink you know the kind of the pinky violence films, but not the Roman pinky you know. Porno films, but yeah, you know they were. It was getting to the point where we already you know, had a female convict scorpion, a lady snowblood. Yeah, and that, was, and, that, and that was starting to die out, also. Which, of course, the whole you know um, Japanese cinema went into the tank, you know, around that time. So it was kind of odd to both of them. 
That music is stolen from the big gun down, damn it. <laughs> Listen. Like I said, I've got my thing. I've got my thing turned down. I don't know. It's that. It's the beginning of Run, Man, Run. Hmm. That's very rare to see one of these films. Where they didn't overdub the music they stole. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, you know, they're you not... Really well, experience, get the Hong Kong version of Police Story 3. You will hear the Batman theme in it. <laughs> when Jackie Chan's fighting on the train. I, I think as long as they kind of... if they, As long as they're ripping the Italians or... You know, as long as they're not ripping the Americans off, you know, because I think they would probably go after them. Now the movie's starting to get dark. That is a weird sword. I know it's a bamboo sword, but it's very weird. Of all of the best the Shaw films, the only one that's never gotten a great release over here is probably Kid with a Golden Arm. It got it got a release over here. I I, yeah. I know I've there's a lot of I own releases of it. Public domain, right. but no good is this. Right, yeah. But the reasons why the Shaw Brothers and little films like this is, and the reasons why Spaghetti Westerns are so popular nowadays is that Spaghetti Westerns has you. It has Mike Batts. It has all of the guys. Who are writing about them and telling the masses why these films are cool, which ones to look at, the little gems? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's it's a, um, it's a genre, you know, this, Italian Westerns are a genre that is really, really specialized. But as little as there is to know about the Italian Westerns, there's a hell of a lot less known about these films. You you know, if you dig hard enough, you can find out a lot of particulars on a lot of Italian Westerns. These films, you can't find. Yeah, you can find some things, but you can't find a lot of information on them because they've not been written about. You know, and I mean, you, you go on there right now and, and you look under Shaw Brothers on on eBay or Amazon, you're going to find shit. You well, know, you'll and, and, find, uh, well, I mean, book-wise. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I'm saying book-wise. Yeah, I mean, there's just not, not a lot has been written about these films, which is sad because obviously the information's there, 
you know, and and while some of the participants are still alive, you would think that somebody would, but unless it's just not, you know, being translated into English, I, I don't know. But which is, I, I think, ultimately, you know, pretty sad. Well, once the Dragon Dynasty line fell flat on its ass, not too many people yeah. would touch it. Yeah, and like we've talked about before, I, I think ultimately, you know, the problem with these films is, you know, everybody, a lot of people relate them to being generic, you know, because everybody relates them to the Kung Fu theaters of the 70s and 80s, you know, the where they were, you know, a lot of the mainland China crap. You know that was cut, that was badly dubbed. You know, so I I think a lot of it has to do with that. And you know, like I said, it's a specialized thing. You know, and we've got people like Tom Betts over here, who is you know with like the Italian westerns, who's written about him for the last forty, thirty, forty years. You know, and, and got dug and found information, whereas these films, and I'm sure that there's information out there to a point but it's just you, you know i've not come across it and spaghetti westerns were lucky to have gordon mitchell one of the best dubbers in the freaking business you mean mickey knox yeah mickey knox yeah oh yeah if, we, if the shaw brothers had a mickey knox the film yeah was probably i agree more Nowadays, kung fu films will be more respected nowadays outside of the Bruce Lee films and stuff. Or, or if they would have just, and I know people didn't like them back in the day, but you know, if they would have just been subtitled. But I know that pushed them into kind of thinking they were art house oh, films, which obviously these weren't. But you know, a lot of people don't like, you know, the um, the subtitles. I don't go to movies to read. Right, right. Yes, that's a fact. You're watching these to do commentaries. Having a subtitle version is like manna from heaven. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. (laughs) Since I, you know, since I write, you know, it it helps me because you know, you know how it is when you're sitting there trying. What did he say? You know, you're going back and forth with him for 27 times trying to figure out exactly what he says. But, you know, as long as they're professionally done subtitles. I'm not talking about the subtitles that somebody did in their basement or or the generated ones. But there are some people out there doing some those ones that uh, the Spaghetti Western Project did in the early OOs. Mm -hmm. Jesus, they were good. Yeah, what was that, Van Cleef or Van something, wasn't it? Or something along those lines, but yeah. Well, I just know the whole thing is the Yeti Western Project and the Shaw Brothers Project. Right. Where they just, were some of the best damn dubs you could probably get. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think the thing with, you know, Shaw Brothers films is, there is a lot of films that are a lot of these films just kind of roll into one another you know what i'm saying they're very the majority you know they're kung fu they fit into a certain you you know they're and to me that's kind of what makes me like them and love them is the fact that there's you know there's a lot of familiar faces 
a lot of people, you know, the same scenery and stuff like that. And that's kind of like with spaghetti westerns, too. You know, you kind of have that same, you know, you're familiar with them with the same sceneries, the same faces. I mean, how many freaking films with, like, Frank Branagh and, you know, and people like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, well, and look at the companies you have to deal with. Like, if you want the traditional Shaw Brothers films, you got to buy the Dragon Dynasties. If you want to buy yeah. the gonzo weird ones like uh, Corpse Mania, Oily Maniac, uh, Boxer's Omen, Human Lanterns, you got to buy the image titles. Yeah, and, and you know that's a head scratcher to me too. Is why those, those especially the horror films, why they're not really, you know, why they're not. I know eighty-eight films over in the UK is releasing some of them, but why at least those yeah. aren't being released with some kind of commentary by somebody, you know? And I'm not saying uh, I'm saying professionally, like an actor involved or the direct, whoever might have been involved in it. Why they're not getting released over here blows my mind to a point. Maybe it's that Dragon Dynasty thing, but, yeah. you know, I I think when you get into the horror films, it's a little bit different than, you know, a film that's, you know, um, not, not a horror film like these, the Kung Fu films. I can see because they've been maybe exploited over here and it didn't work out right, you know, but yeah. to me, you would think that a, the 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 horror films, the exploitation films, you know that they would, you know that they would get a quality release over here. But you know, I I, I don't know. I'm, but I guess Celestial. I mean, with them holding the rights, maybe, you know, they're asking too much. I don't know. There we go. Two examples I mean, of KJ's favorite fetish: gut violence. <laughs> <laughs> He yeah, loves taking yeah, you the got, sword and just, ah, you know. Or the sword I mean, what, what about it? Think, think about a film like Killer Snakes. You know, yeah. that would be, to me, it's horror. You know, it's animal horror. It's it's a, an unhinged man. It It is a fantastic, you know, it's it's a psychological type of horror film. And why... You know, something like that doesn't get a big, beautiful release over here on a Blu-ray because, to me, you, you know, you're you would, you're getting you're getting the Shaw Brothers fans, you're getting the horror brothers, you know, the the people that are horror fans, and you're also getting the kind of people that like that kind of animal horror. But I, I don't know. Like I said, uh, you know, it's baffling to me. The only Dragon dynasty shaw brothers film to hit blu-ray is 36 chamber right yeah now i see some every once in a while pop up on like ebay and stuff but I, those are overseas and there's not many of them when they do pop yeah, up 88 films is doing a great job with bringing uh, shaw brothers titles uh yeah i you'll agree, get some titles I agree. That dragon dynasty never released over here like uh, dirty hoe. Yeah, and they did black um, black magic films. Yeah, black and magic too, which for some reason was always harder than hell to find over here. I got I know black they magic did from Walmart. 
right. I know they did Bewitched, and uh, I know they did one, a couple of other ones. It goes for about 80 bucks nowadays. Right. But, yeah, some of the weirder ones will go for big money nowadays. And any of the Dragon Dynasty shawls, you can, if you find them in used DVD shops, you can pick them up for pennies. Like this box set I got with uh, oh, yeah. four uh, discs, uh, Dragon Warriors, Four Brothers, and one other title. I picked up for like 13 bucks. Yeah. To me, I, I believe it or not, you know, I find a lot of them, and, like, I'll go to the local, I'm not even going to say their name because they're rip-off, but, you know, they sell books for half, supposedly half off. And a lot of times I'll go in there and find, I don't even look at the the regular Mark stuff because I know that's probably where the Shaw Brothers, the Hong Kong films are going to be is in the Markdown section, you know, in the 2 $3 section. Yeah. Well, and they're I went out there to, to be found. HP Books, it ain't no McKay's, but I found uh, Ray Harryhausen set there for nine bucks. The Blu-ray set. Nine. Nine. Nine? Did you bucks. say? Wow. Yeah, nine bucks. The Ray Harryhausen wow. set that has uh, Sinbad, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Uh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it came from outer space and two thousand miles per Earth. The Blu-rays. Right. Hey, there's wow, Kylo, one of the Venoms. You, uh, yeah, that's that's one hell of a deal on that. Yeah. See, look, he's over there in the white. Hold on, let me see. Standing next to the big boss. Most people would know him from uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. You know, uh, Lightning? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I got uh, uh, Come Drink For Me for six bucks over there in the Asian section. That's a hell of a deal. Uh, just amazing that people, the Shaw Brothers go for so cheap. You yeah, I agree. The police story Jackie Chan movies for under fifteen. Right. Yeah, it's like I said. I, I mean, I, I've built a collection for years. You know, by buying most of my shawls. You know, I did have to buy some off the internet, but you know, a lot of my shawls I found for under five, six bucks. Yeah. Well, I had to get the Boxers Omen off the internet because. That's the kind of film that people that buy that aren't going to sell it. <laughs> right. And that's why right. the image, uh, the Shaw Horror Brothers film that Image put out, you're not going to find those cheap because people that buy those don't sell them. They know what they're in for. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of, now I've noticed, I, did Image put out the the poisonous seductress? Were they the ones that put there? Was that Synapse or Synapse? Wasn't it? 
No, it was Image. Was it? I mean, them. You take a look at them now. All three of them go for. You know, they're they're out of print now, and they go for big money. And again, three films that would look absolutely amazing on Blu-ray. You know, the the the, the three set of Rico the lot the three films would look fantastic on blu-ray so there's a lot of asian films which you know like i said are head scratchers to me why you know why they're not put out you know on blu-rays you know with sub you know, english subtitles it, it just yeah, blows me away what, i don't know uh, criterion are cleaning up with uh lady snowblood 20 always a consistent True. seller Long Wolf and Cub, 60 bucks. Always a consistent yeah. seller. Yeah. Zatoichi, $150. Always a consistent seller. And those are cheap. Yeah. Yeah, I don't quite get it. But you would think that, you know, and, and the thing that gets me is like Kino. You know, Kino releases crap like um, um, Captain Apache. You know, and and a cut version of um, you know, it, it just you're not serious. Yeah, no, it just it makes no sense to me. Some of this crap, you you know what I'm saying? It's like uh, I, I don't get it. It's like Golden Swallow. I like the movie, but. If they really wanted to do it right, Dragon, if I had Dragon Dynasty, I would have released it as a deluxe two-disc set with disc one being Come Drink With Me and some and the extras and disc true, Golden Swallow. Right. Yeah, you would think. What? Yeah, why would, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Well, and a lot of it too is, is um, like I said, I just don't think that people, you know, are know. are going to accept these. They're the yeah, other, and they're not going to accept these films. They're just not to them, you know, a film that they're going to watch, you know, or films. Well, the generation you know, below us, they were raised on the category three '90s films. So a slow-moving film like this, after watching. The extreme crap like Tetsuo, the Iron Hammer, and the crazy stuff that come out in the 90s. Right. That is a big problem. With, uh, you can't go back. You got to go back, then go forward. If you watch mm-hmm. the crazy Hong Kong action film shit, and the uh, Wuxia films of the 90s, and you go back to stuff like this where they really, the 90s stuff were love notes to, you're not going to get it. Right. And, and, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about, you know, television in the 1970s, you know, and, and talking about the generation now, you know, when I w- when I was growing up in the 1960s and 1970s, I had to watch whatever came on the damn television. Yeah. You know, we had six, eight channels. You know, three and then a couple. Well, maybe t- 
ten at the tops, but you know the PBS, the UHF, maybe two UHFs, and then the Ray VHF or whatever. The, you know, you're three there, and but it forced me to watch films that you know, Citizen Kane, uh, The Magnificent Ambersons, uh, Arrow Flynn. It, but it made me watch these films that. Do you think a kid now is going to sit and watch any of these films? A lot of it, I, I think, any, is kind of the cinematic. There's too many choices nowadays, if that makes any sense. Oh, it, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect but, sense. But really think, we grew up in a time where on the weekends, Friday and Saturdays and Sunday nights, the local channels were forced to show whatever the hell they could get is cheapest. And what could they get cheapest? The packages. So you would yeah. get Universal Theater. You would get the AIP Theater package. You yep. would get the Spaghetti Western package. Yep. And the Kung Fu Theater, which was an amazing amount of Shaw Brothers stuff. And, and, and just think about all the great AIP films that you've seen on television. You know, this, the early 60s, the Bo- um, uh, Vincent Price films. You, you know, stuff like that, I don't know if people would actually <laughs> these days sit and watch them. I, I, I just don't, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, that, the younger uh, crowd, I'm saying. The, no, the two, sh- the two uh, Shout Factory Vincent Price sets that are out of print mm-hmm. go for like 90 to 100 bucks easy. Right. But I'm. But that's, you know, people your age, my age, you know, and it's people that are, you know, that have that, you know, what I'm saying. That remember those films from catching them on television. And I know I'm not, you know, generalizing. I'm sure there's a lot of younger people also. But but you know, the whole thing is, is these people are never going to. Um you know, experience what we went through. And I'm not saying it was better. I'm just saying that, you know, you're, you you know, after watching thousands of freaking mainland China films and, you know, and and all the Westerns on television, you you know, it, it, I can appreciate a film when it builds and it's slow and it moves, you know what I'm saying? I I don't need, you know, constant killing or constant, you know, Something to that titillate was the my thing mind. About I Kung guess. Fu Theater. You would get to see stuff like Duel of the Iron Fist, Street Gangs of Hong Kong, Master right. of the Flying right. Guillotine, the good stuff. In the Bruce Lee in the Bruce Lee films and and yeah. you know but um, to get to the yeah. good stuff, you would have to spend two or three weeks of mainland China, Hong Kong. Right. Kung yeah. Pl- plenty of you know, like Carter Wong. Which you know, Carter, some of Carter Wong stuff is really, really great, and some of it's really, really bad. You know, stuff like that from actors. You know, and and some of it just, you know, they would cut it to to fit it in, and it would be so awful that, and, and you know, obviously the dubbing. And then you'd get it uncut, and you realize they're still just as awful. Bruce Lee, his <laughs> final days. Yeah, yep, and all in the and the Bruce exploitation films. <laughs> I can remember Good Times had like. Do you remember that on VHS? Uh, Good Times had a Bruce Lee, Bruce exploitation collection. I probably not. It had. 
was a VHS tape. They sold for cheap. It was, uh, let's see, Dragon Lee, Bruce Lai, Bruce Lay, Bruce Lowe, <laughs> Bruce Ty. You know. Yeah, you know, I was I was digging around the other day and in a box, and I found one of them old ass. I mean, it's one of the very first DVDs you'd ever see, and they came in that kind of hard plastic see-through case and it was yeah. Bruce Lee fights back from the grave and I've it's got like that wow that, you know what I'm talking about it comes in that clear case yeah and it's I've like, got that exact uh, DVD <laughs> I wonder yeah, if someday those would be relics like you know everybody's getting into the um you know the VHS now I wonder if eventually <laughs> those would be worth any money I doubt it but I doubt it that was I the very still first. see why someone's like, oh, how about this on VHS? You do know that movie's a worthless piece of crap, don't you? Yeah, but oh it's on VHS. God. What the fuck? I, you know, yeah, more like power I to people. Someone that brought the Warner Brothers theatrical cut of The Street Fighter for 80 bucks. Wow. On VHS. What, what's, what does that prove? That you have the most mutilated version of the street. <laughs> but but what does that prove to a point? I, I, I you know I lived through the VHS days, and I remember them, I and they weren't good days. <laughs> I mean, to to anybody, yeah, they were good days. I can't say what I'm saying. They were good days, wise. but the, the quality compared to. Yeah, yeah, and and people buy and you know, I love the covers, and that's a, a a lot of reasons why we you know everybody got into them so hard was the, you know the beauty of the cover you know the garnish garish covers and stuff like that. But wow, you know I, I that to me I, I just don't quite understand it. But you know, it's me, you know what I'm saying? It's one of those we got I mean, to why somebody? Blah, 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 this film. This is actually good. Then you go to the video store. Well, they have it, and you watch it. Yeah. You know, like, you know, uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't get that part of it, honestly. Why, you know, how people are, you know, they can sink their hard-earned money into something uh, on an inferior. Yeah, if it's the only way to get that it's film. Because they weren't there. They wanted to be there, you know. And they have yeah. all of these of us who are lying motherfuckers. No, let's not bullshit it. Right. They romanticize what it really was back then a hell of a lot more than it should be. Right. No, you know, to me it was, you know, I worked at a video store for, a, you know, a few years and, I remember, you know, the, the you know, the tape roll, you know, the the static at the bottom, you know, the adjust the tracking and the big machines trying to rewind them, trying to fast forward, you, you know, there was a lot of yeah. stuff that to me was not yeah, getting fun. Getting a very well watched tape and seeing where a certain scene had broke. Yeah. And they had just yeah. sliced it together. Or someone had recorded <laughs> something over it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, I have to admit, you know, like, when I'll go any place anymore, like, 
you know, a flea market, uh, you know, most used media places, there's not anything out there anymore of that. So it must be, have been bought <laughs> and put away, you know, and, and placed in the private hands because there's not a lot of that stuff out there now. You know, the old, I'm, I'm saying stuff like, you know, some of the horror films and stuff like that, you just don't see them out there anymore. No, a lot of stuff you don't see is the stuff that was uh, made as product, shelf filler. Mm-hmm. And you got to right, see, we got true. to see a lot of kung fu films that way because companies mm-hmm. will buy, like, big lots of these kung fu films, mainland, China, or just whatever. Mm-hmm. True, true. There is a lot of them out there. You're right. And it's hard for us to check it down VHS because you're looking for something like Golden Swallow. And you look for it and you're like, oh, Golden Swallow, I don't know that. God damn, why don't they ever put out the girl with the thunderbolt kick? <laughs> oh, there's King Boxer. God damn, why don't someone put out the... Uh, Five Fingers of Death. Five Fingers of Death. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You're right. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, a lot of this shit baffles me, and that's probably that's why. Right, that's, that's where you get into weird rights issues, but still. You should put it out in your press releases at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's just probably never going to be one of them things where it's, you know, over here it's, feasible for them to ever really release any of these films you know and i know there's celestial with, with, with stuff on streaming it's crap it's crap yeah. version well uh, well i mean you got to figure too celestials put a lot of films out on you know on amazon prime so maybe they're just happy you know and they're probably getting a nice chunk of change from you know the yeah. people viewing them that way so but the problem with streaming and most of my fellow cult fans don't realize is that we went through the days of, like, when Blockbuster and the video stores were open, you would walk in and they would have a bunch of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as they got successful, they didn't need it anymore, yeah. so they got rid of it. Yeah, yeah, And it made it You're hard right. for us to get it. Right. Yeah, and then you got to figure, too, you know, I mean, you remember that people would go out and, you know, video stores would buy 10 copies of, you know, Die Hard or, you know, those films like that, and they still couldn't keep them, keep them in. And, you know, if, if that's what you were going to see, then you were kind of screwed. So, you you know, a lot of times, you know, where would you head? You know, to me, it was Westerns, it was martial arts. And then I would go check out the horror films. Yeah. So... <laughs> Every video store in the 80s I went to, the horror section was the biggest. The western was a bizarre mutt unless you knew how to tell which ones were spaghetti or not. And the martial true. arts were very small. True, true. But I yeah. was lucky I got to see, uh, because of my family video, uh, uh, Samurai Reincarnation by Kenji Fukusaku. Oh, I love it. The uncut Hong Kong print of uh, Jackie Chan's police story. Love it. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah. But still, they would not carry the subtitled version. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. For me, when Dragon came out, people were like, oh, this is so great, this is so wonderful. And I'm like, I was watching this shit back in the early 90s when it's called The Bride with White Hair. This is nothing That's new. Right. Yes. Yep. But, you know, that's this is anticipa- a great fight sequence right here. I mean. It is, yeah. It's, it's, well, all the fight sequences are beautifully handled, let's face it. Uh-oh, Echo, you can tell they were filmed on a stage. <laughs> yes. I think that's the show. Yeah, definitely. And there he is. Isn't it amazing how many of Shaw Brothers stars were in movies before they were Yeah, they had to kind of, you know how it is, they had to start from the bottom and work their way up. I wonder how it was for a lot of people that went in looking for a romantic romantic martial arts film uh, like this and then getting a guy with a spear rammed through his chest and blood. If you were I going mean, to see a, a lot martial arts for us, I mean, we knew who Chang Che is going in, but if you didn't, <laughs> you know. Right, right. Wow, this is something I haven't seen in many of their movies. But then he's making it look different by putting a green light on there. Right, yeah. Isn't this like simple from Five Deadly Venoms? Yeah. I didn't recognize it just because of the way he lit the damn thing. You know, for someone who is renowned for his violence, his shots are freaking amazing beyond uh, violence. Yeah. And Homeboy here, he's just putting on a running commentary on the fight just in case you missed it. (laughs) (laughs) You killed nine of my guards. Now you must die. But yeah, that's what mainland China was never able to do. Make nothing seem like something. 
true, and they weren't. They were generally the, the cinematography on a lot of them were really awful, because they were it seemed like a lot of them were filmed outdoors. Because obviously, you know, they a didn't want to build a sound. You know, there wasn't a sound stage available. You know, for the interiors, or they only rented or rented it for a certain amount of time. You know, so I think that had a lot to do with it. And why the Shaw brothers, obviously, since they weren't independents, they were all, you know, you know, they could do their stuff, their interiors, and in, you know, in house, and their ex- exteriors also in house because they were close, you know, all with them owning all that property in what Clearwater Bay. Well, once you really shot here over 20 films, you know how to light the film. You know how to light those stairs. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. But that's not a bad thing. Have you ever seen one called Kung Fu Conspiracy? I don't think under that name. Is half of the shots, it's a mainland Chinese movie, but half of the shots are not in focus. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's like it goes in and out of focus in the middle of a fight scene shot. You're just like, I'm going blind. No, it's the camera work. You know how that was. They probably did it, and they were like, you stupid son of a, yeah. And he's like, well, you know what? Fuck it. Let's put it out anyways. Let's get this out in the theaters in two weeks. Yeah. Nobody's going to notice anyways. I forget who said it. He said, there's two ways to do it. You can do it or do it right. Either way is we're good. And I think that's the same cave that she ran out of and come drink with me, literally. (laughs) But, God, how lucky were they to have that? Yes. It's easier to have a factory when you have such gorgeous backgrounds and everything just at your disposal and that you could write your films around the locations rather than. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. True. And you, you know, you got to figure. You know, let's say you know they're sitting. You know, whoever was writing the scripts. Let's say. Well, you know, you we're gonna. You know, it's it's just like a spaghetti western again. You know. Yeah. Well, we that, need this. Yeah. We need that. We need you to do this. We need a fight scene in here. You know, we need to show off this. Um, you know the tavern for the hundredth time. <laughs> you know, so so a lot of it yeah. has to do with you know uh, that. Uh, Shaw Brothers had uh, the Shaw Brothers Studios. Uh, the Spaghetti Westerns had Al Maria. Right, right, and also you know they would be repetitive like Ma- Madrid, where they did you know Golden City, where you know there was a lot of films you, you know. Um, a fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, uh, you know, and plenty of other ones. So, again, a lot of that was repetitious, 
And then, you know, each little studio, you know, in Rome even had their own back lot, you know, of, of a western town. Yeah. That's what I saw. Sergio Leone was a weirdo. You want to go shoot on location? What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> well, I think once they seen Spain that it was, you know, that it could be the, um, you know, the the, um, the American Southwest, they were kind of like, okay, you know, until the money started drying up, and then they were like, well, let's just stay in Rome and make these. It's cheaper, you know. So, and especially when and the, the same thing Pope happened with Shaw too. Uh, they started mm-hmm. eating their own tail. Right. Yeah. When they needed to move into the modern era, they didn't. No, they never did. You're right. They, they, a few times they, well, it, it was a factory. You know, I mean, they'd had to retool the whole factory, and it was, you know, maybe the, you know, the writing was obviously on the wall by the time. You know, they kind of came around, and it was like, well, it's too late now. Plus, yeah. you know, the, the television sets in Hong Kong, Kong and in television in Hong Kong, and yeah. they weren't in touch with what the modern, you know, Hong Kong viewer was really looking for anymore. You know, they didn't, you know, they didn't evolve. They, they stayed the same, and that eventually yeah, killed Yeah, that's them. what kept Spaghetti Westerns really going for so long. It's like, okay, we're making copies of odors. Whoa, mm-hmm. look what Leone did with Fistful of Dollars. When you get right. films that way. Whoa, look what Sergio Cabucci did with uh, Django and The Great Silence. We'll go political. Whoa, mm-hmm. look what they did with Trinity. Yeah, yeah, the Zapatas and everything else and... You know, but in and, the and end, you know Shaw had a nice run. Shaw yeah, had one hell of a, a run. Very nice run. You know, I mean, they were the major studio over there, and if they would have tried to progress progress forward instead of staying, you know, with the same routine, who knows? I mean, they might have still been churning them out today, you know, but. I don't know if they were ever going to really, you know, even though some of their films are kind of almost no. Category 3, I don't know if they were ever going to really move into that Category 3, you know, or that crazy crap that came eventually. Yeah. But now, that's a lot of stuff, too, is that a lot of the Category 3 films, why they're not getting some <laughs> Blu-ray releases. You, you know, it's like, why? Oh, that's the yeah. easiest one to answer. Most of them were banned by the Chinese mainland government, and to even try to distribute them is a crime against the state. Is that right? Wow. Most of the ones are getting dis- that are getting distributed over here in Blu-ray and stuff are ones where they smuggled prints outside of Hong Kong before the change happened. Wow. But didn't? Yeah. True. Yeah. And I see some, you know, bounce here and there, kind of like on YouTube or stuff like that. But, you know, they're generally for shit quality, you know. 
Well, they're probably the same prints that's been resold and resold since 1996. Probably the truth. You're right. But Shaw's would have died. It just would have lasted a lot longer if they would have changed. Yeah, yeah. Because well, then, you know, they the did, market would have dried up, and the major majors, like they did in the USA, would have taken over everything. Because mm-hmm. remember, the Italian exploitation market on the big screen was dead by '89. Oh yeah, well yeah, absolutely. And it, it just you, you know, and they they kept copying, you know, and they would they would copy whatever formula the American films had. You know, they were successful over here, but eventually it just became, you, you know, there was these, I mean, what was the point when they were copying them over here? You know, you could have, yeah, you know, I mean, how many. Yeah, once the studio started making the same films that the exploitation guys were making. Yeah, and a lot of the, you got to figure a lot of, and with the VHS, a lot of, you know, the need was there, and a lot more could be filmed and released over here and the independence kind of you know took over on some things you know it's they didn't need that you know imported in from you know over there and how the hell is Shaw Brothers and the Hong Kong action market going to survive when the biggest directors we bought them up and brought them over here or we were right. creating the Kung Fu stars with uh, John claude Van Damme. Uh, True. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and they brought Jackie Chan over here, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. And and, and they took, you got to figure, they took a lot of these, you know, like the martial arts films over here, and, you know, they made them into current you know where they were into the you know the current time frame rather than period period films yeah the big hollywood spectacles you once hollywood started putting hollywood monies into these films like this the little guys were screwed right and plus no matter how innovative your ideas is sooner or later it's going to go out of date Right. Because look how quick uh, the comedy spaghetti westerns crashed and burned. Well, you know, it's like anything when you get people, you know, out the, you know, and a lot of that has to do with the, the mainland China crap, too, is, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you, you know, inferior product. You know, as long as yeah. you had, you know, money. And somebody trying to put out a good product, you were okay. But once the, you know, they started releasing the inferior product, and the inferior product was getting played, and people are like, "Man, this is garbage." You know, you obviously started to lose some of its, you know, the audience who were, you know, they, it was drivel by then. Yeah. But out of all of the spaghetti western things, the comedy ones were the one that lasted the shortest term. Yeah, well, the Zapata is only you know they they only popped around sixty six through seventy one or so. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. The, the comedies only lasted from. I mean, there was comedies predating that, 
but once the Trinity films hit in late seventy, early seventy one, yeah, it was and then you had a lot of a lot of awful films. Yeah. Well the you problem know, the, is is that the Trinity films were the rare Italian comedy that could travel. Yeah. Fact. Like, and they uh, are someone asked you on Facebook the other day about the three Superman films. <laughs> How the hell can fuck freaking soccer jokes travel over to the United States in the early seventies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they yeah. And, and you know what it and, and what the Trinity films did was it you know, it took that myth you know, that superhuman type myth. Yeah. And they took it and and escalated it by ten, you know, or twenty or a hundred. It was so yeah. overinflated that it was it was it was humorous. But you know, but there was money behind those films, and the films were successful because they had a nice budget. They had a great director. They had, you know, good actors in the leads. You know, a great yeah. one in Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill. But you know that mythology was pushed to the end, to the you know as, as far as you could push it, and it was something that these films had always had. You know, I watched a film the other night called uh, "I Want Him Dead," which starred Craig Hill. I mean, that dude got to live and fucking shit beat out of him over and over and over. And, you know, he showed no effects of it. Any one of us would take a beating like he took in that film, you're you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, and you some of the things. Have you seen Black Moon Rising with Tommy Lee Jones in the mid-'80s? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The reason that movie stands out so much is he got the shit beat out of him 45 minutes into the movie. And he's selling the ass whipping through the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and you so know, rare. yeah, it, it's just you know, and we all know that you know there's you know the, the therapeutic recuperation of being able to you know mend your body like that is almost superhuman, you know, like the, the, yeah, the, the, and that's uh, one of the best parts of the Bruce Lee, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fight in Game of Death, isn't it? Mm-hmm. About 40 minutes in, about 20 or so minutes into that fight, they just stop for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> that shouldn't be a unique thing. Right, right. Yeah. Like in uh, Jank, like, uh, remember that's why uh, Corbucci made The Great Silence. Mm-hmm. Because he was sick and tired, because he thought that the ending where Django got his hands bashed in, then he killed the other bad guys was other bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they also did that to him in Minnesota Clay, if you remember, where yeah. they changed the UL. There was a, you know, a different ending. You know, there was the original ending, and then, the, you know, the one where he actually lives. So, yeah. yeah, that wasn't the first time they did that to him. 
yeah, I honestly appreciate that when I see a movie where someone gets hurt and they actually sell it. Yeah, really, yes, yes. You know, when you get punched, you know, a dozen times in the gut or in the head, you're you're going to feel that for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Unlike in some of the Shaw Brothers films, just right, right. They get these big punches, and then they just come up and start whooping again. <laughs> yep. The film, um, like the film Blackjack, which stars Robert Woods. You know, that's actually a film where they beat the living fuck out of him, and he carries that through the rest of the movie. You know what I'm saying? It's not like. You know, yeah. he recuperated, and he's walking, you know, and everything's cool now. Yeah, yeah, he took that beating, and that's where, you know, so. <laughs> but they but they believed in that, you know, because of obviously they, they, they started with the sword and sandal films and, you know, and went from there. And they took a lot of that, you know, forward with them. You know, that mentality, that superhero-type mentality. Yeah. Or suit, yeah. Mythological yeah, type. Like, uh, in the Bruce Lee films, like at the end of uh, Fist of Fury, where he kills like five or ten guys in the whole film. Mm-hmm. I knew a lot of people who were pissed off that he was fucking arrested. <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, what did they arrest him for? He killed the bad guy. Killed ten men. There's no way around it. <laughs> He's asked to going to jail for murder. <laughs> Isn't that one of the biggest cliches of action films where the hero could kill an insane amount of motherfucking people? Yeah, and just walk away like yeah. Yeah, and just walk oh, away yeah. and get away with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like Rambo. No, not if they would have got the original ending, which uh, Stallone wanted. Well, you know that wasn't going to happen. That's what most people forget about the very first Rambo film, is that it was a horror film, and John Rambo was the freaking monster. I mean, literally, can you think of anything else besides him being a monster that's, you know? I, yeah, I always, I always, oh, yeah. Uh, to me, it was almost like one of them things where he was like a, um, uh, like a Jason or one of them, you know, like one of them killers, you know what I'm saying? That, that's yeah. kind of how it always came off to me is, you know, because he, you know, the way Stallone played it, like, you know, like he was disconnected, you know, it, yeah. Of course, I haven't seen that film. Have Gordon Liu being in this movie when he's not in the damn picture? (laughs) I will put up a poster on my post on my wall, telling me taking a picture of the back of this that has Gordon Liu listed as being in this film. Yeah, maybe he's in there somewhere. He just we ain't seen him. It's Gordon Liu, man. There's no way not to recognize it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would, he would have hair in this one, so. 
And that's always cracked me up about the Shaw Bucks and a lot of these Kung Fu films is that everybody knows their big-ass long names. Right. Oh, it's Spaghetti Western Expert, Mike House. And no one in these movies can have a friendly duel. No. No, no, it's machoism, testosterone. I wonder if the Shaw brothers and them had, like uh, Almerita had, a big giant place with all the swords and... Wouldn't that be all? Wouldn't you love... But you know what? It's like I've said. I would love to know what's happened to all that crap through the years. Yeah. You know, I mean, did it just get tossed? Did the locals take it? Some some of that shit has to be. You know what I'm saying? And I, see, I know probably a lot of it. Like, I think with them it's different. With the Shaw brothers, with mm-hmm. um, like the Italian westerns. I know a lot of that was rented from. You know, there was a places in like Madrid where they um where they you know they would rent out costumes and guns and stuff like that so yeah but I remember Shaw, uh, I don't know I remember uh doing an interview with Mickey Knox and he said a lot of the guns just got used so much they fell apart yeah you would imagine yeah But like I said, they did an auction a lot of stuff. Like I said, that glass pane with the Shaw SB logo on it went for, like I said, $40,000. Wow. It's well out of my price range. <laughs> yeah. I know one time I've seen a place where someone, they never did prove if it, they took it off the auction block because it couldn't be proved if it is or if it wasn't. Someone tried to sell at a Sotheby's auction the serapes that Clint Eastwood had from uh, the dollar films. Wow. That would be, yeah, how would you Wow, yeah, you wonder whatever happened to that, don't you? I think Eastwood said it fell apart. <laughs> right, which is possible, you know, I mean, I mean, but you wonder if he took it back with him. Because supposedly he took that with him, like the black jeans yeah. he brought with him and stuff like that. You wonder if he, once he concluded the film, whether he took them or not with him or not, or just kind of tossed them in the, you know. I don't know. I I would. I don't know. That's a good question. I've often wondered what kind of crap is like in, um, like Sergio Leone when he died. You know, I would love to. I, I know Christopher Frailing's had some. You know, been able to go through some of it. It'd be still kind of cool to see all that. What what you know what he had. I know there's a shitload of scripts left. 
That's true. There is. You're right. And a lot of them are kept in a place in in Rome. Yeah. I, I can't remember what the name of it is, but a lot of them are kept. And I guess I would think that you maybe would be able to go see them. You know, you might have to use the white gloves. But I, you're right. There is a, some scripts. Yeah, you know, the ones that I know that, that I've seen is uh, well, Kubrick had a warehouse just filled with boxes and boxes of stuff. Wow. And, of course, the Sam Fuller place where he had all his scripts. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll see, you know, online sometimes I'll see scripts from, you know, eBay. on Like for some of the B-Westerns and stuff like that, I'll see scripts. Yeah. You know, but they're, you know, 80, 100 bucks, which, you know. I want to see fingerprint powder on that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, fingerprint that But it's shit. like, yeah, I agree. What's the point to a point? You know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know. Yeah, I guess you, if you were doing something on it and you wanted to see if how it, you know, whether it actually was like that or how they originally writ, wrote it, but. Yeah, yeah, no thanks. Like someone tried to sell uh, an original script from uh, Kill Bill that they said Quentin Tarantino was written, but mm-hmm. it was typewritten and it had good grammar. <laughs> Every script that he's ever written, he's uh, written in longhand and he's a grammar. <laughs> That's funny. I know Harrison Ford has sold some of his scripts before in Sotheby's auctions for charities. Has he? Yeah. That that would be one of them things where, you know, I I I, I think about like some of the lobby cards, some of the posters here that'll never go on a wall, and it's almost like, what's a point to a point? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Especially a script. I mean, you'd look at it one time and you'd be done with it. I mean, you know, unless you're researching it, going to, you know, kind of compare it to the movie or whatever. But Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, some things it's just like to a point, what's the a point? You know, the point? Yeah, maybe if they autographed it or something, but, you know, to a point, it's like what's the point of having it? That's the part. That's the problem with the collector's mentality. Right. Like the rarest thing I've ever seen is someone was selling a 16 millimeter printer to Texas Chainsaw Massacre on eBay. It was going wow. for like three hundred dollars. Wow. And I was thinking, eh, if I had the money. Yeah, you I see you. Yeah, you get on there sometimes, and you'll look on there, you'll be like, you'll be looking at some shit, and be like, damn, you know, I'd love to have, nah, I don't have 300. And it's anything that, you know, no matter what you think when you get on eBay, like, I'm going to snag that motherfucker, oh, it's only $3, and it's got two, uh, no, it's going to blow up in your face, and you're not walking away with it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now it's like a book or something. It's like, ooh, it's the movie adaption of uh, one of the Man With No Name novels. How much is it? $3. I'm buying that. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I've never seen them written about much either. What's that, the novels? Yeah, the novels that weren't the movies. Right, yeah, I think most of those were written by Joe Millard, I think. Yeah. The movie tie-ins, you mean? Yeah. Well, they're not movie tie-ins. They were uh, continuations. Yeah, some of them were, but they also had the movie tie-ins. They had the, yeah, they had the three movie know, tie-ins and about four or five continuations. Dead for, the one dead that for a dollar. The that I lost was I had the movie tie-in to uh, Sabata. Oh, that's a cool one, yeah. They go for a decent amount of money now. Yeah, well, I had Halloween once, and that sucker goes for like 80 bucks, and I got it for like two bucks yeah. back in the 80s. Right, yeah. Yeah, you don't see that stuff. And, that, and that's something, too, you just you just don't see out floating around anymore. That stuff's gone. Well, if you did, there's too many people that would snap it up. True, true, true. Especially any type of Halloween or Friday the 13th. Yeah, that's, yeah, you, you know, that shit's big time. Yeah, like I got Reptilicus, and I'm like, ooh, Reptilicus, 30 bucks. That's cheap. I'll get it. <laughs> and yes, it's cheap. Even the crappy versions like I got, the guy was just looking to get rid of it. That's Even nice. the crappy versions go for like 90 to 100 bucks. Wow. I know that Warner Brothers did a tie-in novel for uh, Five Fingers of Death and a Street Fighter, but I have never seen those pop up anywhere. Wow. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. But then that's one of those I won't want to play the prices for that. Oh, yeah. The only way way you'd stumble onto something like that is if somebody didn't know what they had and they put it on there and you seen it and it. Had a buy me now type of thing, or they put it in a category where it didn't belong because if not, you ain't touching that type. Or of there's crap. some sucker that don't know what the heck they got. Mhm. You could tell who's the star of this movie. I mean, Golden Swallow has left this film maybe fifteen, five to ten minutes ago. We're still watching Jimmy Wayne. Story. Yeah, with one of the longest ass damn fight scenes ever. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, you know, you would think after Come Drink With Me, she'd be the star of the show, wouldn't you? Yeah. But no. But. It's Jimmy Wang Yu. Yeah. Well, and even Lo Lee kind of just. was that big of a hit. He was yeah. the teen yeah. idol. Yeah. Only he didn't embrace it like uh, guys like uh, Jackie Chan did. Right. That's how you can tell someone's going to get very gory in a Chang Che film. They're wearing white. (laughs) 
Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Shane doesn't get the credit he deserves as a fight coordinator. All, right. all everyone usually talks about is that the violence. But you know what? They were they were perfect for that time frame, you know, especially with everything opening up and you know and and loosening. Yeah. yeah can you imagine if he had got to do some real yakuza films, like wow. uh, yakuza papers and some Fukusaku type stuff? Just damn. There wouldn't be nobody with any pinkies left, would there? And that's another thing about these Shaw Brothers directors is that most of them we never really did to get to see them at their full potential, did we? No, no they were constrained by, you know, the, the a studio to a point, which and you know I guess. King Boo was constrained by the fact that he wanted to make Gone with the Wind on the budget to make uh, the right. Confederates. <laughs> yeah. And once he made, you know, once he made Come Drink With Me, that's what they wanted more of. So he was, you know, that's what they expected out of him, was more kung fu films. Yeah, and he wanted to make bigger, like you said, he wanted to make bigger ones. But they didn't want to make bigger ones, they wanted to make the same one. Yeah, yeah. It's like after this was a big hit, he still had to fight to make uh, Duels of Iron Fist, uh, Gangs of Hong Kong. But, like, people don't want to watch modern kung fu films. Right. Tell you what, Wang, uh, Jimmy Wang, you takes one hell of a beating, don't he? Yeah. He takes it. Damn. I don't think I've ever seen anybody being stabbed so many times. Uh, the Shiro Mafune and uh, Throne of Blood would be like, excuse me, motherfucker? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, he got arrows up his, I mean, just arrows. True, yeah, that's true. You're right, he did. Uh, that... <laughs> I don't know if he's being noble and self-sacrifice or just being a dimwit. <laughs> I mean, really, noble, he's all that he has, and he's like, I will leave here forever like a freaking baby. <laughs> yeah, no, this, I don't think that always got... seems like that's always been the ending in both Golden Swallow films. Mm-hmm. She's always left alone. True. Yeah. 
And this is an old school song right here. <laughs> you know, this is what you would see in the romantic old martial art films, the music, the songs I right. get. Oh yeah, Shaw Brothers special. Sure. Yeah. Wonderful directors and cinematography. And ultimately they failed, but I would say before I say it again, I would like to fail on the level that Shaw Bush did. Mike's last regular show for a while, and because this show is so special, this is officially done the 450th episode. Wow. Because Mike deserves something special because his two Spaghetti Western books are some of the best pick-up-and-read Spaghetti Western books there is out there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I've had more positive. I've had most almost... 99% positive feedback, so that's great. And even the negatives, the motherfuckers are jealous of you. Yeah, well, you know, you, you know how that is. You know, yeah, I mean, motherfucker, I could do better than you, than do it. Right? Then, yeah, yeah. Well, we we know how then all that all works, don't we? I don't got the time. Yeah. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you know, I mean, how many? times have we seen that happen to people where they, you know, that's why I just kind of lay low because it's like, you know, I've seen plenty of people where they got trashed because they did something and accomplished something. So, you know, I kind of just, you know, stay out of it, you know. Yeah, the Troy Howard syndrome. Yeah, that's probably one there, yeah. And I'm not saying yeah. some of them, I love the guy, but some of the shit, like he got over his uh, Paul Nashi book because the guy was writing one and didn't finish it before his. <laughs> and you know what yeah. the Mother Father's cover was when his Nashi book come out? Mm-mm. A Paul Nashi action figure on a pile mm-hmm. of rocks with cla- with cotton ba- cotton batten clouds. <laughs> yes, it's best to stay away from all that. <laughs> Best to stay away from all that, you know. What I'm all drama. Yeah, it, you know, and that's sometimes it's better just to kind of turn shit off, and you know what I mean. Stay away and out of it all. Well, like I said, you are dealing with what I call affectionately the biggest black hole in cult fandom. Mm, yeah. At least you have smart enough to know when to run. <laughs> and when I say that, there's like certain films he's watching. He's like 45 minutes in. I ain't watching no more. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I love my fellow reviewers, but if you watch 40 minutes of the movie and you already decided that it's an utter piece of shh and you're going to hate it, why watch the rest of it? Yeah, well, you know what? It's like, you know, to me a lot of times when it comes to that is, you know, sometimes I'll watch garbage, I'll watch garbage, you know, I'll watch it, and then, like, you know, a lot of especially spaghetti westerns, you know, they'll those last 20 minutes will be like, well, you know, okay, it redeems itself a little bit. But then a lot of times, you know, you don't get that redemption. It's just crap all the way through. You know, like uh, Full Cheese Massacre time, it starts out pretty slow, but those last 20 or so minutes are just damn. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of films, you you, you kind of hope to find that, you know what I'm saying, that those last 20 minutes will be like, damn. And you're like, well, you know what, it sucked, but at least the twenty minute, last 20 minutes made up for it a little bit. Yeah. But we will see you again, and thank you for all the work that you've done. And go buy his books and buy his other books when they come out, damn it. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a blast. And as we see him ride, Mike House ride out on the sunset, the first words out of our mouth is, Who was that masked man? <laughs> It was fun. Good night, everybody. Good night.